So strange with the change in the weather. I feel like it's like seven at night right now. So today, our, I hope you, you know, again, have looked at the readings this week, and what the, the first reading and the gospel emphasize are repentance and obedience. Repentance and obedience, right? That, that you and I don't just say, yes, Lord, and we, you know, we can get into the Catholic lingo, right? We all know this as Catholics, we know all the right words, and you're like, man, I just love my novena to St. Therese, it's just oh, so amazing. But it's not about what we say, it's about what we do. And so Jesus can say in the gospel, right, um, why do you call me Lord, but you do not do what I tell you? Right, God calls us to really examine our lives and not just be hearers of his word, but doers. But I want to zero in on our second reading, and I just really want to focus on that today. The second reading, and I would challenge you all, go home and pray with this today. The second reading is one of the most beautiful hymns of the early church. Uh, and it's, it's one of the crown jewels of all of St. Paul's writings uh, in Philippians chapter 2. So we're going to go into that a little bit today and talk about what that is. One brief note I just have to mention. Some of us, and thank God I don't have this habit, but some Catholics have the habit of taking the Lord's name in vain. And sometimes we wonder, is it that big a deal? The answer is Yes. Today's second reading, at the end of it, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, right, every knee might bend and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Really quickly, Jews, what is the name? It says that God bestowed the name on him. This is a quote, by the way, from Isaiah 45. If you're a scripture nerd, which I hope you are, you can look that up later. It's here. I'll give you the exact reference. It's, um, it's Isaiah 45, 23 is what Paul's quoting here. But that name is the name of God. And Jews, when they hear the name of God, they're only supposed to hear it once a year. They don't even say his name. They hold his name as so sacred, so holy, they won't even say the name. They substitute. So the name of God, right, and we still have, hold this in reverence, the name of God in the Old Testament is Yahweh. And when Jews, when they see that name on the page, they don't say the name. They say Adonai, which means Lord. And they do that out of reverence. So you and I, if we don't hold the name of Jesus in reverence, brothers and sisters, no one else will. Okay. It's going to be like five sermons today. <laughs> it's like, sorry, I apologize. I'll go to confession, okay? Um, can you do that? Can you be like, I'm going to commit a sin anyways, but I'll go to confession later. Okay, so today, I want to talk to you about models in your life. Who is the model for your life? Um, so the, the, one of the best songs ever written, right? It will go down in all of history. It's called Mr. Jones and Me. Right, Counting Crows, I think it was 1993. If you don't know that song, you have not yet lived. But what I want you to think about today is, as Catholics sometimes, and as human beings, we tend to think about what we should do instead of who we should become. 
It's a subtle distinction, but today, the second reading is going to invite you and I to think about who we should become. What kind of person do you want to be? So in Mr. Jones and Me, right, the, I love that song, and the, the singer Adam, Adam Duritt says, I want to be Bob Dylan, right? And that's a really bad model. But he knew he wanted to be. I want to be Bob Dylan. Mr. Jones wishes he was someone just a little more funky. You know it. Sing along. Right? Models. When I was in seminary, right, I remember I had a couple of huge role models. And it wasn't just one thing this person did or that person did. But it was Father Ralph Drendel, who is the saint who lived next door to me. And that model was so important for those of us who lived with him. Right? Father Drendel embodied holiness and joy and sacrifice. And I remember so many days, day in and day out, I lived next to him for two years. And I remember just thinking, if I could just be a little bit more like Father Drendel, I'll be a really good priest. One more story about this. When you think about models, there's a, if you were going to be a great artist, it always helps to have models that you learn from, that you can base yourself off of, and you can transform kind of their work. So a great story is in, in the year 1599, uh, Caravaggio is not yet known. And if you don't know Caravaggio, you have certainly seen some of his paintings. Caravaggio is one of the greatest artists of all of history. But in 1599, he was not yet known. He's living in Rome, and he got his first big commission. And this would make or break his career. And so Caravaggio is commissioned to paint three, three paintings uh, and they're supposed to talk about St. Matthew. And so he paints them, and the, the one that truly would make his career is the call of St. Matthew. And so one more thing to do today, go home. I don't like people being on computers on Sunday. I think we should avoid that. But today, maybe make an exception. Um, so Caravaggio paints the call of St. Matthew, and it is a stunning painting. It's absolutely gorgeous. What happens is in that painting, there's a group of tax collectors sitting around a table. And it's hard to know which one Matthew is. It's actually still debated. And what happens is Jesus is, of course, coming to call him. And there's all kinds of cool things in this painting we don't have time to go into. But what happens is Jesus reaches out and points. If you go home, if you just looked at it, you'll be like, wow, that's a cool painting. And what you might not know is that Caravaggio, when he was getting ready to paint this, he had a great model to follow. And if you look at the hand of Jesus in that painting, it perfectly mimics Michelangelo's creation of Adam. Now, you do know this painting without even having it in front of you. 
Right? Michelangelo's creation of Adam, God the Father reaches out, and Adam is laying on the, on the earth, and Adam reaches back, and the two hands are almost touching. What Caravaggio does is he takes the exact hand of Adam. It's actually not the hand of God. And we might get to why, but if not, you can go do your homework. Um, but his hand, the hand of Jesus, mimics that of Adam's hand. And it's almost like he's waiting to have Matthew reach out and say yes. That painting would make Caravaggio famous. It's, it's again, it is considered one of the greatest works of art in all of history. And he would go on to become a, a great and tremendous artist. Who's your model? The second reading today invites you and I, who is the model of your life? Who is the one you look to? And what, what the hymn in Philippians chapter 2 wants to say to you and I is that you're, in the end, you're going to have one of two models. You're either going to have the model of Adam or the model of Jesus himself. One of those two. And there's just a couple really cool things, brothers and sisters, that I just want to call you to today. And I want you to really look at your life and think about this. Not what do you want to do, but who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? And so today in Philippians, Paul, the image I like of this is this, this hymn is like a rock and thrown into the center of a pond. If you throw a rock into a pond, right, the waves, they ripple outwards. And in Philippians, this is exactly what happens, is that Jesus is the center. And this hymn about his emptying of himself ripples through the whole rest of the letter in all directions. And so today we heard at the start, St. Paul says to you and I, he says, do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest. Now here's a cool thing. It says, don't look only to your own interests, but also to those of others. We are such softies as Americans and as modern men and women. The Greek does not say, don't only look to your own interests, but also to the other person. It doesn't say that. It just simply says, don't look at your own interests, look to others. But almost every translation softens it because they don't think that you and I can handle that. But it's good. Paul says that to us, and then he's going to show you. He says, and here's what Jesus did. And who do you want to become? Do you want to become that type of person who loses themselves because they love others? And a couple of just key, there's three key concepts I want to give you that St. Paul pulls out of the life of Jesus and says, this is who we are. This is who we are called to become. We are not like everybody else. We do not think the way the world thinks. You and I think the way Jesus thinks. And so the first one is actually about how you think. So the first one, Paul says, 
count others as better than yourself. That word count is hegeomai. And I want you to see this. When you look out and you see other people, the normal way we do things is that we think about how we're the ones who are right, we get things better than other people. Right? We all think that. And Paul says, flip that upside down. And then right in the next verses, why should we do that? Why should I say, you know what? I'm not the one who knows everything. I'm not the one who's always right. I should see these people as better than me. Why should I do that? Well, because that's what Jesus did. And so Paul in verse 6 says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, right, he is equal to God the Father. But even Jesus didn't count what he had as better than others. He did not count himself better. He who though he was in the form of God did not count hegeomai, equality with God, a thing to be exploited. We'll get to that next. Being a Christian is about how you think. When Jesus, Jesus is in perfect union with God the Father and the Spirit from all of eternity, and Jesus thinks a certain way, and the way that he thinks is not, how can I use something to my advantage? That's what we do. That's not evil or terrible. It's human. And I do this all the time. Father Glenn used to say when we were in seminary, he used to say the only time you probably shouldn't wear your collar is when you go to buy a car. Right? You go, you're a priest, you go to buy a car. Now, these days, after the scandals, there might be a different world. But in a time where people look up to priests, it's like, oh, yeah, pop in my collar. That is using something that's yours to your advantage. Christ does not think that way. Do you think that way? And later on, one more verse here. Paul says, we didn't have this today. This is in chapter 3. But Paul's going to use that same language. He's going to use that word hegeomai about himself. So in chapter 3, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted, hegeomai, as loss for the sake of Christ. How do you think, brothers and sisters, when Jesus was in eternity with the Father, he didn't think, how can I use this for my own advantage? How can I live for myself? But he emptied himself. He did not use his equality with the Father for his own advantage, but he chose to value you and I. That's how you and I think. When you have a gift, when you have a talent that God has given you as every one of you has, the normal thing we do is we say, how do I use this for my advantage? But that is not the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is how do I pour myself out 
for the good of others. If you and I lived more like that, we would be a more profound witness to the world. Paul goes on in that same verse in, in chapter 3. He says, Indeed, I count, hegeomine, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. When you look out at life and there's things you hold valuable, brothers and sisters, how is the mind of Jesus Christ forming your mind? Do you value things the way Christ values them? Paul had everything, and I, I, I'll we'll move on to the second point here, but Paul had everything a Jew could ask for. And he goes into that in this passage. He says, basically he says, I was kind of a big deal. I was a big name. I was a big up-and-coming, you know, rabbi. And he says, but when I met him, I no longer counted those things as important. And I joyfully relinquish and lose all of them if I can have him. Being a Christian is about how you think. That's the first point. The second one, exploits. We've already hit this. Jesus did not use equality with God, did not consider equality with God. And our translation says a thing to be grasped. The Greek says exploited. And you know how this goes. You are totally awesome. And so you're like, I'm going to use my awesomeness to get ahead, to win. I'm going to use my gifts and talents to put myself first. Brothers and sisters, who's your model? That's what Adam did. Adam is looking for how can I be number one? Jesus calls us to think a new way, to say, how do I lose my life? How do I serve? And then finally, the last one I want to highlight this morning is as he took the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found human and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Who do you want to be like? Who do you want to become? At the heart of the Christian existence is humility. How do I seek the lowest place? And I want to highlight one thing very concretely that's happening right now. Some of you might not know this. One of the things I'm hearing very concretely, and I want to apply this to it, I'm hearing all over our community people complaining that they can't receive communion on the tongue. And I just want to talk about that very briefly this morning. I understand. When I was a layperson before I became a priest, I always received communion on the tongue. I prefer it. I feel like it helps me to remember who it is I'm receiving and what's going on. But the very brief point I want to make here is the mind of Christ does not say, I will do what I prefer. Humility always means obedience. 
Humility always means obedience. Humility always means obedience. And the Catholic rule for 2,000 years has been that if your legitimate superior, in this case our bishop, who is our legitimate superior, when he asks for something, how do you think? Well, I know better than the bishop. I'm a good Catholic. I'm orthodox. I'm reverent. But reverent Catholic is obedient. And the Catholic rule is you are obedient until you are asked to do something that is immoral. Receiving communion in the hand, again, I prefer in the tongue. It is not immoral. It was the common practice of the ancient church. It is the way the apostles received the Eucharist at the Last Supper. It is okay to prefer receiving on the tongue. As I said, so do I. But do you and I know better than the church? Do we know better than the archbishop? Do we know better than everybody? That is not the mind of Christ. Today, when you go home, brothers and sisters, think about this, and not just the communion piece, but how do I take on the mind of Jesus Christ? Lord, how do I think the way you think? How do I learn not to exploit my gifts to my own advantage? Jesus, how do I humble myself and become obedient? Lord, give us that grace today. May we have your mind. May you be our model. Jesus, may we become like you.